0: I'm going to uh, turn our attention back to the book of James this morning. We're going to read just two verses uh, from this letter, the last two verses of James chapter 1. So, James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It's page one to one in your Pew Bibles, one thousand two hundred and fourteen, James chapter one, and verse twenty-six. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Amen. Father, your word is a light for our path and a lamp unto our feet. And so we ask that you, by your Spirit, would open our minds to understand these verses, this passage from your words, and warm our hearts to receive its message, and grant us faith and courage to live in the light of that which we have heard. Grant me all that I need to speak. Grant us all that we need to hear. And to live. To the honor of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just two verses from James. I'm going to try... This isn't a promise, I'm going to try not to speak for too long, because I think my voice is a bit temperamental today. I don't want it to go uh, altogether. Uh, Only two verses. However, I think if we grasp these two verses, if we get these two verses, then we will grasp, we will get The whole message of James, actually. It's all in here. The concern of James, really, is that we would, of course, come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But having come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, having said yes to the invitation or to the summons of the the gospel, that we would live lives that make sense in the light of our new identity in Christ Jesus. Jesus. That's the message of these two verses, and that's the message of the book of James as a whole. He wants us to receive the good news of Jesus and to live accordingly, to live in a way that makes sense given the nature of the gospel that sits at the very center of our lives as Christians. I could uh, stand up here every Sunday and tell you how much I love. Airdrie, I could try and convince you that I am a passionate supporter of uh, Airdrie audience. But if you were to see me every other Saturday with a yellow and red scarf uh, walking down to Clifton Hill, then you would have cause to question after a while whether or not I really was an Airdrie fan after all, would you not? And the same is true in our Christian lives. We can gather in this place every Sunday. It's good. It's important to do so. We can sing these songs. We can declare our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, how much we trust Him. But if our lives are singing a different story, then sooner or later we ought to question ourselves as to whether or not we are true believers or make-believers. We ought to question the reality of our faith in the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. And the concern of James is that our lives would marry up with our confessions in Christ Jesus. And that's the concern of these two verses, verse 26 and 27 of chapter one. It's like today James presents us with a precious coin, a coin of great wisdom, very valuable. And every coin, as you know, has two sides. On one side of this coin, it might say false religion. And on the other side of the same coin, it would say true religion. False religion is, according to James, worthless, or King James Version, useless. True religion is, according to James, religion which God the Father accepts as pure and faultless. So, we might say if false religion is worthless and useless, true religion is precious and purposeful. But we ought not to run too far with the coin illustration, because which one we get does not depend on the toss of a coin we ought to read these verses from James and read James as a whole and resolve ourselves that nothing but true religion will do, that nothing but the real thing will be good enough for us. We ought to resolve to reject the false and to embrace the true. We have to be intentional in our journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read these verses, my hope and my prayer is that all of us will decide that only reality will do, reality in our religion, reality in our relationship with God the Father through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the goal. And we will never attain perfection in this lifetime. Of course, we won't. But as we seek and as we strive in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we seek and as we strive in the strength of the Spirit of God, we will grow. We'll never get to perfection in this lifetime. But we'll move forward. We'll grow in our knowledge of and our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do, we'll be shaped and fashioned more into His image and likeness. The fruit of the Spirit will take root in our hearts and in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. We will become more like Jesus. We will make progress, and that's a wonderful thing. So we look firstly at false religion, verse 26. James says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. The pen is mightier than the sword. Do you know who wrote that? Me neither. I don't know. Really. But whoever wrote that knew the power of words. The pen is mightier than the sword. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I don't know who wrote that either, but they clearly had no understanding of the power of words. The pen is mightier Than the sword, and the tongue can cut deeper than any knife. Words are powerful. One of the things that makes human beings uh, like God, we are created in his image and likeness, is the fact that we can speak. We can speak words. It's a, a wonderful gift from God to be able to communicate in that way. And the words that we speak carry with them power. Not the power of God, of course, how thankful we ought to be for that, but power still. Power to bless or to curse. Power to build up or to break down. Power to honor or to dishonor. Power to love or to hate, and we are called in Christ Jesus, our Lord, to use our words well, to use our words wisely in His service, to use our words in a way that befits our identity as followers of Jesus Christ, as children of God, as dwelling places for the Spirit of God. Scripture calls us in Ephesians 5 to avoid obscene or foolish talk, coarse joking, which Paul says are out of place. In Colossians 3, we are to rid ourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from our lips. And Paul goes on to say, don't lie to each other for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Paul's reasoning is interesting, isn't it? He doesn't just say, put off all these rubbish things and, and, you know, be good. No, he says, no slander, no filth, no lies are to fall from your lips, and he gives a reason, he says, because you are being made new into the image of your Creator. We can go one step further, can't we? Just as we did with the children's talk. The Lord is our helper, but He's not just our helper. The Lord is our creator and our recreator, but not just our creator and our recreator. He is in Christ our Father. We've been adopted into His family. We cry with Christ Jesus Himself, Abba, Father. And as such, we ought to bear a family resemblance. Who is our heavenly Father? He is, according to David, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. And So, we need to live lives which reflect the nature of our God, of our Heavenly Father. And so, I ask you what I have been asking myself this week. Do my words bear witness to the nature of my God? Are they filled with the fruit of the Spirit? This is a great challenge to refuse, to lie, to slander, to gossip, to lash out with angry words, to tell the truth, to encourage, to speak well of others. It's a great challenge, but it's a good challenge. It's a noble challenge. And it's a challenge we ought to embrace in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Keep that tongue in check as you serve your Lord. That's a lesson from the first side of the coin. Let your tongue know who is boss, refuse to gossip, to slander, to lie, to cheat. To hurt others, even if it means you have to stand out from the crowds in your home, in your place of study, in your place of work, dare I say it, even in, in church. Refuse to speak unloving words, even if it means you have to stand out from the crowds. That's the first side of the coin. That's the negative. But now we turn to the positive. From verse 26 to verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. And you think, here we go. Now we're coming to the crux of the matter. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. Is it pews, you think, or is it chairs? Is it mission praise or redemption hymnal? Is it Baptist or Presbyterian? Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What? Why? Well, we've just answered the question, haven't we? Because we are to bear a family resemblance to our heavenly Father. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. Has He been a faithful Father to you? Has He shown compassion to you and your needs? Has He done for you what you could not do for yourself? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the answer to all of those questions is yes. The Son of God, God the Son, has left His holy dwelling in Christ Jesus to be made man, to live the life you and I have been powerless to live since Adam We have lived as slaves to sin. But he came to suffer and to die for our sins, for our guilt, for our shame, and to rise victorious and to share that victory with all who turn to him and trust in him. Why? That he might share his sonship with us. How amazing! that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would be willing, that He would be wanting to share that privileged position with others and to pay such a price to share it with others. We were powerless. We were helpless. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And Christ loved us. God in Christ loved us. He sought us. He saved us. He rescued us. He redeemed us. He adopted us into His family forever. And so having been loved, love. Having had our needs met, meet the needs of others. Having been cared for in our distress, care for others who are in distress, to questions, to to perhaps uh, challenges that might be in your minds as you read this verse. Firstly, doesn't doctrine matter? You may have been expecting, you know, I, I, I was being... Uh, somewhat facetious and mentioned in the pews and the hymn books, but you might have been expecting some doctrine. True religion is this. You might have been expecting some teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ or about the nature of God or about the need for repentance and faith. Doesn't doctrine matter? Well, yes, doctrine matters. And as you read the letter of James and, and Scripture as a whole, there can be no doubt that doctrine matters. Actually, doctrine matters so much that we must make sure that our lives are in tune with the doctrine that we believe. That's the message of James. Not that doctrine doesn't matter, not that teaching about Jesus doesn't matter. Actually, quite the opposite. It matters so much that our lives must marry up with this teaching, with the, the things that we believe about Jesus and about God our Father. Secondly, well, doesn't this lend itself to some kind of social gospel, to churches that are really just community centers with a thin veneer of religion on the surface. Well, it shouldn't. That's the best I can say to that. It shouldn't. What it should lead to is churches that care for all of the needs of others in the name of Jesus. The greatest need people have is to come to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and in faith to come through the Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. That's the greatest need. And if the church is not found proclaiming the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, no one else will. If if we're not doing it as believers, no one else will. And so, of course, above all else, we have to have Uh, Matthew 28, we have to have the great commission in our minds and in our hearts as we decide how to prioritize the things that happen in church and how to to function as a family of faith. But let me ask you a question. If you were thirsty in this tropical Adrianian heat that we've been having of late, if you were thirsty, what would you do? You, You would get a drink. If I were not to fulfill the the promise that I issued at the start of this sermon, if I was to preach for a long, long time and you were to go home and it's past your normal lunchtime and you could hear your stomach rustling, rustling, rumbling, what would you do? You would eat. We are called in Christ, are we not, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That doesn't mean to have some kind of fluffy feeling for our neighbours like we have a fluffy feeling for ourselves. It means to care for others as we care for ourselves. To provide for others from the resources that we have as we provide for ourselves from the resources that we have. And who is our neighbour? It's just the people that are around us, the people that are within our reach, the people that we are able to help in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And James picks the most vulnerable of his society, uh, widows and orphans in that culture, the culture of, of James's day, uh, were unable to work to provide for their needs and there are no benefits for them to to, to put food on the table or um, a roof over their heads. And so James uh, encourages and exhorts believers to care for those who are vulnerable, to care for those who are in need. We do that by proclaiming the gospel, by longing and praying that we might see people come to faith in Jesus, to experience that life lived to the full and right relationship with God, experiencing the joy and the peace of Jesus. How often I go to see people in hospital or people who are uh, grieving and they say to me, I cannot imagine what it must be like for people we do not have Jesus in our lives to go through that. So we meet the needs of others as we proclaim the gospel, as we issue this great invitation, as we encourage people to come to faith in Jesus Christ, but it doesn't stop there. Why should it stop there? Why should we not also provide, For the material needs and the physical needs, as the Lord enables us to do so. And so we have uh, a food bank which has been in the media uh, recently, with Hugh Grant giving a big donation, which is now gone. And the food bank, which is hosted in our church, is uh, threatening to close its doors because they just don't have stuff to give to people. Why should we not try to meet that need? In the name of Jesus Christ, if we have stuff to give, let's give it. Let's give stuff to Linda or leave stuff at the front door or give it to me and we'll give it to the food bank and they'll give it to the people in our town who are in needs. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And lastly, finally, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We must be in the world loving, helping, blessing. We must be in the world, but the world must not be in us If we are in the world and the world is in us, then what's the point? The boat must be in the water, but the water must not be in the boat. To to use a more biblical metaphor, salt must not lose its saltiness. But, you know, if, if we're hiding in a Cupboard and one of these wee salt dispensers, we're not doing any good, are we? We have to be put into the food to preserve or to uh, flavor, to make a difference. We are not called in Christ to hide. There might be places as Christians knowing our, our weakness, there might be places that we know ourselves that we can't go because we would fall into sin. That's, that's perfectly acceptable. But we are not called in Christ to hide away from the world. We need to be in the world, but not of the world. We need to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world in order that we may show a better way. We need to make sure that our lives are filled with the light of the Lord and not polluted by darkness. But what good is that for the world if we hide our light? If only we could live up to the songs that we sang as children in church. Uh, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It sounds so easy, almost quite twee, but it's a great challenge of the Christian life. To live in a light, to be unpolluted by the world, but to be in the world, to be a presence, to be a beacon, to shine brightly for Jesus, to point to a better way, a better life, a better Lord, to show the way for people who are living without God and without hope in this world. Again, it's just about that family resemblance to our Father. Be holy as I am holy. That doesn't mean be as holy as I am. That means be holy because I am holy. Our Father is holy. Our Father is perfect. Our Father is pure. And see, we, so we ought to strive in the strength of the Spirit that works so powerfully within us to grow in holiness, that we might shine brightly for our Lord, that we might shine a light on the darkness, and that we might lead others to the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider how your heavenly Father has loved you and love others with your words and with your actions. Consider how pure He is and be pure. Bear a family resemblance for the honor of His name and for the cause of Christ's kingdom and for the joy of His people. Amen. We